Well, good morning and welcome. It is good to be together this morning. It's good to worship together and fellowship together. It's good to to see everyone after a a long week and all that's been going on, all the activity that we've been involved in. Uh, We're going to shift gears a little bit this morning and uh, do something a little bit different. I'm going to start preaching now and uh, then we're going to uh, spend some time in, in praise later. Uh, so today is Family Worship Sunday, and so this is an opportunity for the kids to, to come in and participate in the worship service with us in here this morning. And so um, I'm going to start off with uh, bringing Lila up to visit with us. I need a microphone real quick. Uh, Lila's going to visit with us a little bit about what Family Worship Sunday is about, what our children's worship is about. And so, uh, Lila, if you want to go ahead and come up, and uh, we'll, we'll ask a few questions. Today we're kind of shifting into a new series, but not really. Um, and so for those of you who have gotten tired of the circles in the middle of the screen, we now have a different set uh, of backgrounds up on the screen. Uh, And so we are going into talking about what our core practices are, and our practice for today is the practice of worship. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And so, um, Lila, I want you to kind of tell us what is children's worship. So three out of four Sundays, we dismiss the kids out to children's worship. What is it? What's going on back there? Why is it important? Um, Our children's worship time is a specific time of modeling and teaching age-appropriate worship principles to our kids. Um, It is a time for us to um, teach them that God loves them, that the Bible is God's word, and that worship takes on many, many forms in our life. And that's important for kids because sometimes our kids don't go to Bible class. We have um, only about half to two-thirds of our kids are attending Bible class sometimes, and this is a time for them to gather together in community with their friends and their kids that are their age and worship together and learn what that means and what that means in their lives and how to do that and that it is more than just singing, that it's just many different parts Um, And we let them ask questions, and we talk about um, our communion and what what our grown-ups do in here. And then we model that for them, and we participate together in in that time together. So then on the second Sunday of every month, we keep the kids in here for Family Worship Sunday. Mm -hmm. Um, Why is that important? Why, Why do we keep the kids in here with us one Sunday a month? Well, I think if you ask some, it's to teach those kids to sit still and be quiet. Which they're doing really well at right now, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I don't like that response. Um, I don't think that is um, part of it. I believe that our larger community is so important for our kids to witness and to participate in. And then there's that family unit thing for kids to see how their families are worshiping together, for that to be modeled in here. We model it in there, and we teach it in here, in in there, and then to see that in action in here is huge, and it, to me, it's, it's just so sad when they don't get to participate in that. They never get to see their parents 
um, in this larger corporate setting, worshiping and in communion with the Lord and with one another, I think that's vital. So I see there's so much benefit to both, so much benefit. And then how can we as adults help the kids grow as worshipers of God? Modeling is our first, setting the example is our, my first response to that. I think that that is something that they need to see in here as well as they need to see um, at home, um, in your car. Um, I think if we keep that conversation going at all of those places, that's important. We can't leave all of that teaching right here. There's a lot of good stuff going on here, but we can't leave it, on, leave it all here. So I, I think that those things are very specific to make it very much a part of your daily conversation and daily life. And then the kids, how can the kids help us adults be better worshipers? I think that kids bring this great innocence and great joy to worship that sometimes we forget about. So I, there are many things, but I think those two things come to my mind. The innocence of worship, that pure worship, and that great joyful worship are things that we can watch kids and we can emulate from our children. Good. Good. Well, thank you. Thank you for all that you do with our kids. Uh, thank you for the, the children's worship. So we've got a great children's program. It, uh, we've got our, our Sunday school hour at 9.30 that uh, have great opportunities for the kids. And then our children's worship opportunities uh, during the worship service uh, most Sundays. And so today we're all together. And, and that's an important intentional thing. It's not just a break for our volunteers. And it's not just to teach our kids how to sit still in worship, but it's really for us to be together as a family and to, to be a part of this uh, together. Well, like I said, we are, are starting in on a, a new series uh, that is kind of a continuation of the last series. So we're, we're calling it The Core Practices. And so for the last 12 weeks, we have been talking about these, these core beliefs that we have, these, these, this core of, of what it is that we believe as followers of Jesus. And, and each week we've been asking a question uh, to think about, okay, what is it that, that we, we believe in? And, and so we have had this graphic that you can see for a few seconds, but wait until it, look at it quickly. All right, there, you, you got it. This, this be, think, and act, where, where these three things are working together for us to become more like Jesus, that, that, that we are able to, to be like Jesus, which is the, the goal of being Jesus' followers, is to become more like him, and, and so we want to be like him, and, and to be like him, we first have to think like him. We have to believe the things that he believes, and so we've been spending the last 12 uh, 12 weeks going through what it means to think like Jesus. What does Jesus believe? And so, so we've looked at these things. And, and once we begin to think like Jesus, then we can start acting like Jesus. And so we start acting like him. And sometimes we act because of the belief that we have in our heart. And sometimes we have to choose to act because we want it to become a part of our heart, but it's not quite there yet. 
And so sometimes we do things in intentional ways to, to act like Jesus, even if we don't feel like acting like Jesus. And so some of you came here this morning with the intentionality of acting like Jesus. You didn't really want to do it, but you got yourself up because you knew it was important to do. And that, that is an incredibly valuable thing. Others are, are very excited about being here and, and, and anticipated getting up and looking forward to being a part of this worship gathering. And as we've, we've talked about what it means to, to act like Jesus, we have looked at these beliefs, and, and we're at different places incrementally of, of things coming into our head to learn things intellectually, and we're at different places of learning things intellectually, and then taking those things intellectually into the heart. We're at different places at different times getting those things down into our heart as well. And, and, and things come up in our lives that make those things more challenging. A, a crisis hits, or, or a, you get a certain diagnosis, or something happens, and now that thing that we thought was in our heart, we start questioning again. And this is the growth process, and that's why that graphic is going in this, this circle, because we act and we, we behave certain ways, and then something happens that becomes a catalyst for us to, to learn those things at an even deeper level. We begin to understand who God is at deeper and deeper levels as we face these different situations in our lives. And so, of course, we can work really hard at acting like Jesus, but it is not in our own power. All of this is empowered by God, and it's through the empowerment of God, which is at the center of the graphic that's not up there, is, is this empowerment by God that helps us through this process, that we, we grow through this process. And so, Today, we, we start in going through 10 weeks of looking at what these core practices are. How can we act? How can we act in certain ways to become more like Jesus? And so today, we talk about worship. And it's very timely because our kids are in worship with us. And, and this is something that we do together as a family and we engage in as a family. Uh, there was a, a five-year-old boy, Christopher, who went to church every Sunday with his grandparents and, and sometimes often reluctantly going to church. And so they, they arrived at church one Sunday, and the grandmother, Betty, was singing in the choir. This is a church that had a choir. And so she sat up front with the choir, and Christopher sat with the congregation and Grandpa. And so they're sitting in the congregation, and, and if you're sitting with the choir, praise team, if you're up here, if you're me, you see everything. Yes, I see everything. I see the people coming and going. I see the people nodding off. I see the people reading other things and doing different things. I see it all. And so, <laughs> so grandmother is sitting on the stage, and seeing everything that's going on with this poor five-year-old Christopher, but more importantly, she's seeing what's going on with Grandpa. And she keeps, like, motioning for Christopher to wake Grandpa up. And Grandpa's just sleeping through service, and, and she's, like, motioning for Christopher to, to do something about this situation, and Christopher just sits there and does not do anything. And afterwards, she's like, why, why wouldn't you wake Grandpa up? I gave you 50 cents before church to keep Grandpa awake. 
and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. He's like, well, Grandpa paid me a dollar to let him sleep. <laughs> and so, hopefully, hopefully you're not here um, because the highest bidder outbid someone else to keep you awake or asleep or, or whatever the scenario you find yourself in. Uh, hopefully you come here uh, with, with great anticipation and eagerness. Hopefully um, you come into this worship gathering as, as not something to endure and tolerate, but something to look forward to, something that, that is, is life-giving, something that's engaging, something that's transformative. Um, but once again, we are all at different places on this process of, of growing in this practice of, of worship and, and what we think about worship. And so hopefully we fall somewhere into the more life-giving side than the, the obligation, pay-me-to-stay-awake side. But we have found ourselves there all too many times, right? We get into worship gatherings that are engaging. We get into worship gatherings that are not. Uh, and we have to find ways to participate through those things. As we think about this idea of worship, we've got this very simple definition that we can use. It's just attributing worth to someone or something. Now, it's, it's attributing worth to something, which means this word worship can be used to define a lot of different things in our lives, right? Unfortunately. Worship is not something that, that we only reserve for God, unfortunately. We should be. We should be attributing worth to God, but oftentimes we attribute worth to other things above God. That's what the Bible calls idolatry, where something else becomes the more worthy thing in, our, your, in your life. And so through our worship, we are, we are using our praise and our singing and our speaking and our, our physical expression all to say, God, you are worthy. God, you are the worthy one. And so each week we've been asking a question, and in a similar format, we're going to ask a question now. And we, we ask this question, how do I honor God in the way he deserves? Now, there, there's interesting wording in that question, right? How do I honor God in the way he deserves? Not how do I honor God in a way that feels good to me. Not how do I honor God in a way that I prefer, not how do I honor God in something that defines me, but, but how do I honor God in a way that he deserves? And so it's focused on him. It's focused on what he deserves, not on who we are. And so to answer this question, this, this idea of how do we honor God, we look at the previous 10 beliefs that we've been talking about every week, and, and all of these come together to form a certain attitude about God, a certain vision for who God is and what he's all about. And so we've looked at the belief, that uh, our belief in the Trinity that, that declares that God is the one true God. And so we look at who God is. We, we believe God is involved in and cares about our daily lives. That, that helps us define who a personal God is. We believe God has provided a way for us to be made right with him by his grace. And so the salvation of God defines who he is and how we worship him. We, we agree that God's word directs our beliefs and actions. And so we see the, the Bible 
as God's word to us. We believe we have significance because of the position and worth God has given us, our identity in Christ. We recognize God as the, the head of the church, and so we see the importance of the church. We believe our God loves all people, and so we see this value in humanity, and because of that value in humanity, we desire to provide compassion for those in need because of who God is. And we believe God is the owner of, of all things, including us. And so how we use our time and our talent and our treasure becomes important. We believe God has provided a way for us to live with him forever. And that's the eternity that we've talked about for the last couple weeks. And so what we really believe about God will define our worship and the quality of our worship, and the energy of our worship, and the heart of our worship. Because as those beliefs get into our hearts, our worship becomes an overflow of that heart. These are the core of who we are and what we believe. And if, if we are really believing those things, if we were really embedding those things into our heart, then that will motivate us toward worship. And so worship is this first spiritual practice that we're going to talk about is through worship that, that we're declaring what we believe about God. It's declaring ourselves and uh, it, it's declaring who he is. It's, it's declaring what we think about ourselves and who he is and what we have to do with him. And so even if we don't fully believe it, worship helps us move into a place of greater and greater belief. As we come together, as we, as we worship God together, we become more and more in line with the beliefs of Jesus. All ten of these beliefs work together to, to drive us to worship. But none more than this very first belief that we talked about, this, this belief in God, who is God. That defines so much of our worship. Randy Frazee says it this way, When we worship, we're taking the revelation about the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and reaffirming our belief that he is involved in our lives and wants to be in a relationship with us. As we do this, the, the amazing truths about God move from concepts in our head to the cries of our hearts. These become the cries of our heart. When we worship God for who he is and what he has done for us, it not only cements our confidence in God as we approach each day and each situation, but it also enables us to receive his love. When we receive God's love in our hearts, we begin to see the world differently as people made in God's image. And so we are people made in God's image. Our, our worship is directed to God because he is worth it. Because he is worthy. It, it isn't about our personal preferences. It isn't about what makes us feel good. We're, we're reaffirming our belief in God through our worship. And so we gain a deeper understanding of, of the things that we believe when we go through those acts of worship. As we sing songs together, as we spend time in the Word together, as we spend time in communion together, those beliefs that we have 
get repeated over and over and over and go deeper and deeper into our hearts. And we gain greater understanding of who God is and who we are as ones made in God's image. And so in worship, even though it's directed towards God, there is this sense of reciprocity in worship as well, where, where if we give our worship to God, then we are reminded of our true identity, and, and we are blessed, and we are encouraged in that process. And so worship becomes a very self-edifying thing as well, where if we put God where God needs to be on the throne— then we become more encouraged as we, we gain greater truth into our hearts of who God is. And so our core practice of worship could be stated this way. I worship God for who he is and what he has done for me. Now, once again, this statement is very intentionally worded to say, I worship God for who he is, not who I am, not where I'm at, not what my tradition dictates. I worship God for who he is and what he has done for me. He has done incredible things for us, and that's why we worship him, and that's why we praise him, and that's why we celebrate with him. There's this fascinating story for, uh, of Jesus encountering this Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. And it's this great story that, that has so much depth to it. There's, there's a lot of different things that we can, we can talk about in the story. Jesus encounters her at the well, and, and he calls her out on her sin and, and calls her out on, on things that she's doing that, that she really should not be doing. And her eyes open, and she has an awareness of now who it is that she is talking to. She is talking to the Christ, the Messiah. And in John chapter 4, verse 19, she says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So she sees who this is. You are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and, now, and, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the, in the spirit and in truth. And so there's a lot that can be said here of, of, of what Jesus is talking about. He's, he's talking about greater inclusion of people more than just the Jews into the kingdom of God, um, but he's also addressing this issue of worship. He's saying, what is worship? Because she thought that worship could only be done on this particular mountain. It had a certain place. And the Jews thought that worship could only be done in Jerusalem. It had this certain place that worship occurred, and it had to be done at a certain place in a certain way. 
And so Jesus is saying, no, that, that is not the case. That, that a day is coming when, when worship will change. That because of what Jesus is doing on the cross, worship of God the Father will occur through the Spirit in any location. It will occur in any place. Where the believers are, that will be a location of worship. Where followers of Jesus are, are gathering together to declare the worthiness of God. That is where true worship happens. It's not about a location. It's not about a building. It's not about a certain time of week. It's about having an intimate, spiritual longing for God. And so Jesus is not making a statement about a style of worship here. Worshiping in truth does not mean this one true way of worshiping. But he is talking about something very different. He's, he's making a statement about the spirituality of worship. If our worship is, is not occurring at a spiritual level, then something is missing. It isn't truthful worship. Our worship should engage the spirits. And so what does it mean for worship to engage in the spirit? What does that look like? We worship God not at a certain time, not at a certain location, but in all times and in all locations. The greatness of God, the, the, the worthiness of God is not limited to this one hour once a week. It goes so much more than that. The psalmists give, give us these powerful pictures of, of what worship is. In Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Does that sound like something to sleep through? To ascribe God his holiness, the splendor of his holiness. In Psalm 95, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Psalm 109, with, with my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng of worshipers, I will praise him. And so there is this incredible energy in celebrating who God is. This worship of, of, of ascribing this worthiness to, to him. And so worship becomes this ongoing activity of the church. It's, it's what we are designed to be. It's, it's, it's who we are supposed to be. And so, so we're commanded to love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and mind and, and strength. And that demands that we don't hold anything back from him. That it's all his. All of our being goes into the expression of our love for God. It's not singing a few songs. It's not showing up to a worship service. It's every bit of our being goes into worshiping God. And so what are the aspects of worship? What are, what are the things that, that worship looks like? We have a certain way that it looks here on Sundays, but it can look a lot of different ways. 
Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. This gives us a picture of what worship can be, what worship needs to be. And so as we think about worship, worship is corporate. Worship is something that we, we gather together and, and we, we do together. It's something that can happen in the privacy of our home as well. But as we look through Scripture and see how, how worship is described, there is a gathering of God's people. And the people gather not so that you can receive something as someone who shows up to a worship gathering. We show up to a worship gathering for what we give. And so we gather together corporately and we are giving our worship to God. And so when you don't show up, you don't bring your gift with you. And because that gift is, is something that we all benefit from. Like we benefit from the encouragement of seeing one another's faces and hearing one another's songs and listening to one another's prayers. Those are all things that build one another up and they encourage one another. But there's also this idea of, of worship being something that we do together to resist the devil. That there is an aspect of what we are doing here today and what we do every time that we gather that is resisting the work of the enemy. That when God's people come together and stand and declare that God is who he says he is, and God is worthy more than anything else, any of the other gods that our society has set up, we are saying God is worthy of our worship. Only he is worthy. Making that corporate declaration stands against the work of the enemy. And we do battle together as we stand and worship together. But worship is also vocal. And for some of us, that's kind of scary. <laughs> right? That, that we're singing these songs and, and people have to listen to what is coming out of my mouth. Like, some of us, that's scary. We don't like the sound that's coming out. But our worship is about the greatness of God. And us declaring the praises of God, declaring who he is. And it's not about the quality of our voices. It's not about the quality of the music. It's about the, the truth that is being said as we declare these things together. This great thing to think about, God invented music. Now, humans have messed up a lot of music, but God invented music. I don't know what, what your favorite band is. We won't start picking on anybody, but some of it's really bad, what you listen to. Um, and we can say the same thing about somebody else. So, but God invented music. The, the idea of things shaping together into harmonies and, and sounding good to the ear, like, like that is a creation of God. And so if he invented music, shouldn't we embrace it? Because who isn't moved by great music? Music moves us. It inspires us. It encourages us. 
And so worship is vocal. We use this gift to move each other toward Jesus. That's why our, our praise team spends time rehearsing and, and, and working very hard to, to, to help structure a worship gathering that, that moves us in a direction toward Jesus, that, that the songs that we sing point us toward Jesus. And that gives us the third thing, worship is Christ-centered. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Jesus, the rock of our salvation. And so as we sing, it is an act of gratitude to our Savior, who is our rock. And we say thank you. And so the gift that we give is never adequate to what we've received. But we gather together and we worship anyway. And we come to him, and we give him our thanks, and we give him our worship. And so we are the people of God. We are who we are because he is God, and we are not, which is a challenging reminder that we need daily. That we are not God, he is God. And so as we go through our daily lives, not just hour here at church, but as we go through these, our daily life, it means that we're daily acknowledging who God is. We daily acknowledge him, and, and we worship God privately, but we also worship God corporately with our songs, with our words, with the way that we live. We, attract, we attribute worth to God as a child of God, and then when we attribute that worth to God, we receive an undeserved worth given to us. We are reminded of who he is and, and who we are as his sons and daughters. And so the more we express that, the more we sing about that, the more we speak about that, the more we, we share testimony about that, the stronger our relationship with God becomes. Our relationship is strengthened with him because of it. And the deeper the intimacy with him, and the greater our worship becomes. And so the question for us is, is, is the location of your worship defined to a certain geographic space? Is your worship confined to this space? Or do you worship freely in other places? Who do you attribute worth to? Who is it that, that you put the most worth in your life to? Is the worth of your job greater than the worth of God? Is, is the worth of your family, the worth of your social activities, the, the worth of your athletic endeavors or your academic endeavors, are those things more worthy than God? Are you worshiping those things more? And so we're going to spend the rest of our time in some, some praise, some time of, of worship, some time of communion together. I wanted to restructure our service so we, we spend some time talking about worship and then we do these things together as opposed to talking about it and then dismissing. And so let's be standing together. Let me read these words from Paul in Colossians chapter 3. Let the peace of Christ in your hearts, since as members of one body, 
you were called to peace. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, through hymns, through songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Amen. Let's sing together.